Hello, you're listening to a sermon provided by the First Presbyterian Church of Mayopac. We worship on Sundays at 10 a.m., and you can watch us live either on Facebook or YouTube. And if you're in the area, there's always a seat saved for you. We hope that this message encourages you to continue growing in humility and faith. Thanks for listening. Our second reading for today you can find on page 154 of your Pew Bible or uh, up on the screen if you would like to, or and if you're at home, I guess a Bible of your own choosing if you would like. And it comes from Paul's epistle to the Romans, Paul's letter to the Romans. So let us hear our second reading as it comes from Romans chapter 3, verses 19 to 28. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For no human will be justified before him by deeds prescribed by the law, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed and is attested by the law and the prophets the righteousness of God through the faith of Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are now justified by God's grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as the sacrifice of atonement by his blood, effective through faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his divine forbearance, He had passed over the sins previously committed. It was to demonstrate at the present time his own righteousness, so that his righteousness and he justifies the one who has the faith of Jesus. Then what becomes boasting? It is excluded. Through what kind of law? That of works? No, rather through the law of faith. For we hold that a person is justified by faith apart from works prescribed from the law. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. That was, that was a little sad. This is the word of the Lord? Okay. <laughs> Friends, on October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther, a professor of moral theology, published his 95 theses, which signaled, in many ways, the start of the Reformation. In case you didn't know, today is Reformation Sunday. You probably heard of these 95 theses that Martin Luther published, or so famously in those pictures, hammered to the church door. But what was the first of Martin Luther's statement to the church? The first statement Luther had in his list was this, that when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. During a period where indulgences or the forgiveness of sins were something that was almost like a commodity, something that was bought and sold, Luther rose to challenge that notion. In many ways, Luther rose to say, no, that's not how we do it. 
Our faith is not about the buying or selling of God's forgiveness, but it is about giving our entire lives to God. In many ways, on this Reformation Sunday and on this day, which is the last of our series on the great ends of the church, it seems appropriate that we spend a little time reflecting on what it means to give of our whole selves to God. We constantly, or I should say we consistently form and reform our lives over time, right? We grow. We don't just remain static. And we make this really concerted effort to form and reform our lives, sometimes to improve ourselves, in some cases to try and tune our hearts so that they fall more and more in line to the heart of God. As we spend this time in reflection during the last Sunday of our series, we discover that the great ends of the church, much like Luther's 95 theses, are meant to spur us onward. They're meant to spur us onward in our faith to deepen our pursuit of connecting with God and to see how our faith is a living and breathing part of our lives. Not just rote prayers, not just sermons or homilies or music we sing, but how it is something that becomes a part of our entire being. Because while we will discover that in our faith, we are not saved by works. They certainly are a visible sign of how the Spirit of God is moving in our lives. They may not be necessary to salvation, but they are a necessary part of what it means to live as the people of God, to bear forth these visible signs or fruits to show that God's Word has taken hold. That is what we reflect on this day. As we spend some time this Sunday reflecting this, uh, on this passage from Paul's epistle to the Romans and on this last Sunday of our series, it reminded me, strangely enough, of, of something I, I saw, which was uh, a result of it being my favorite time of year in November and can you guess why it's my favorite time of year? Not because of the wonderful pumpkin uh, drinks that you can get or pumpkin desserts or the fall uh, activities and festivals. Uh, it's because it's election season. And no, I'm not. That's a joke. It's, uh, it's, that's not why it's my favorite time of year. I'm only kidding. I, because as you know, I don't have much of a stomach for partisan politics, but I do love the exercise of being able to practice my right to vote. But all joking aside, it, it reminded me of uh, something reminded me of, of this passage as well as I drove through town recently. And you see everyone throwing up their signs that they have. As I was driving through town, I saw this campaign sign or just some other kind of statement sign that said, re-elect no one. Think about it. And to my surprise, I found myself stopping, thinking about it only to really embrace my gut reaction of not really agreeing with the statement's premise. I think in many ways it assumes the worst of people. It assumes that people can't change or they're unwilling to change. It assumes that every decision they make 
is to harm instead of to help. That's not to say that there are people out there who aren't like that, but it assumes the worst of people. It embraces this almost as well, this smug sense, I think, of moral superiority that I am a better person than you are. But who are we to judge? Who are we to nitpick and pick apart every little thing about a person when we ourselves fall short of the glory of God? Not just us, every one of us falls short of the glory of God. We ask others to give us a chance to do better, to try again, to make a concerted effort to improve ourselves, but we are so quick to condemn others who ask for that same kind of grace. What room is there for reformation, for transformation, if we close our hearts to the Spirit of God that is constantly at work, shaping, molding, forming, reforming our hearts? Just so as politicians and just as clever people uh, might be able to put up signs with catchy slogans, the early reformers had a slogan of their own, Ecclesia Reformata Semper Reformanda, Latin for the church reformed, always reforming. And this was their cry during the Reformation. The reformers understood the fluidity of faith, how a system of that is how we have always done it, would often lead or had a higher chance of leading to stagnation and a breaking down of the church's original vision to be the hands and feet of God. The practice of forming and reforming our souls, sharpening and honing them, is something that the reformers would want to emphasize so that we would be able to keep our hearts in line with the heart of God. There's power in that motto, Ecclesia Reformada, Semper Reformanda, and the power comes from the fact that our faith journeys are not perfect. There was no perfect starting place. There was no perfect faith journey. The power comes in that imperfection. It comes from the hope of enriching our lives through constant practice through picking ourselves up, through helping others up along the way, whether it be through our, the enrichment of our spiritual lives, through prayer, through study, through reading the Word of God, so that as we interact with the world, the world will see the results of our devotion. They will see the marks on our hands, the dirt on our clothes from the places where we tripped along the way. They will see how we have formed and reformed ourselves our hearts, our souls, our bodies, knowing that as we are imperfect vessels, we strive every single step of the way to try to live life differently. We are reformed and always reforming. We are reformed and always reforming. What if we took that idea of reformed and always reforming, and applied it to the sentiment, the attitude that we approach others, the way that we interact with others. So that instead of coming from a place where we might try to put on an air of moral superiority, we start from a place 
of humility. A place of humility of knowing that we are but humble sinners instead of perfectly righteous people, you know. Seems like if we come from that kind of a place, there's much more room for grace and much more room, friends, to allow for that Spirit of God to live and move and have its being. As Paul writes this epistle to the Romans, he touches on this importance of, as well of balancing the gift of salvation with the responsive work God calls us to manifest. And it is here in this intersection between the sacred and the secular where we find that foretaste you have heard me talking about of what it means to live with God and with one another and what that could all look like if we embraced this spirit, this calling God has placed on our lives. That intersection which offers us the foretaste of the kingdom of heaven reveals to us that smallest glimpse, that perfect union we have with one another. Reminding believers of the grace they have received, Paul offers a prophetic vision, an invitation to participate in God's redemptive and life-giving work. And what possible forms might this work have? What forms might it take? Well, we've covered a good chunk of them, I think, the past couple months, we find that we are able to participate in this reformative work, this redemptive work, in our proclamation of the gospel by providing for the shelter, nurture, and spiritual fellowship of the children of God, for the maintenance of divine worship, the preservation of truth, the promotion of social righteousness, and the exhibition of the kingdom of heaven to the world. All these things make up a part of the collective calling placed on our lives, placed on our community of faith right here in Mayopac, on communities of faith around the world through every time and place. And what's important to know is that there is no end date, no check mark that we can cross off because it's something we've done. It's something we must make a conscious decision to embrace daily until we draw our final breath. The Protestant Reformation did not end with Martin Luther publishing his 95 Theses. It was only the beginning. Similarly, our faith does not end once we have accepted God's life-giving word, but instead that is only just the beginning of our journey of faith as we discover the vast and rich layers that make up the faith we have received. Each day we wake up is another opportunity to participate in the ongoing reformation and transformation of ourselves and God's creation. As we end this series on the great ends of the church, I wonder how we will allow these principles to transform our lives. Alternatively, I wonder if we will allow them to transform our lives. And if we do not allow them to transform us, what kind of decision are we making then about what kind of church we want to be. I said before that the great ends are not perfect. They're not a silver bullet. But they are a challenge placed on us as disciples, disciples of Christ, to seriously consider how we will allow our faith to make an impact, to make that visible 
mark in every aspect of our living. So on this Reformation Sunday, let us reaffirm our commitment to God's commitment to the proclamation of the gospel, to the fellowship of God's children, to this worshiping community, to truth, to social righteousness, and living out our faith in the world. And borrowing a question that we ask of ruling elders and ministers, I have a question for you as we consider this final thought. That do we, as people of God, promise to serve with energy, intelligence, imagination, and love? In our service to God and one another, let us continue to reaffirm our commitment to the holy task at hand, believing that each step and each hand we extend to those who are in need will testify to the ongoing movement of God's Spirit in our lives and in this place. Amen. Thanks again for listening, and we will hold you in prayer as we head into a new week. If you'd like to learn more about our church and ministry, or if you'd like to learn how you can support us, you can visit our website at mayopacchurch.org. Until next week, God bless.